0: Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.
1: Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. I think the running team has to have. I think, first of all, they have to be able to flip the switch. There's a switch that's always on, and at times you have to know it when to turn it off, and then it's back on. And there's not an effort to turn it back on. It, it just comes on. And I think that's what we're really le- learning and capturing. You know, uh, I think the defensive has always had that. I think offensively we're really learning that right now, and it's it's coming along. And so I think that switch has got to know when to turn that switch on, and really it should be on almost all the time. There's another part that I think that is got to have you know, you got to have. And I think that's, you know, unrelenting belief. You know, I think the best teams in the world, they have unrelenting. belief. It doesn't matter what the score is. doesn't matter what it looks like. doesn't matter what happened the week before. It didn't matter what happened. Like we're going to believe. And that's 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 it. There is no other options.
0: Well, we uh, already talked about uh, Russell Wilson, his unrelenting belief that I believe has the origins coming from uh, P. Carroll on that program. Pete Carroll runs up in Seattle. Um, but flipping the switch, um, I think there is a common thread amongst the best teams that I've been on that, yeah, you can have as raucous and as wild of a fun locker room atmosphere five minutes before we get out to practice. Dudes are doing tape ball dunks uh-huh. and all the fun locker room games that everyone plays, and then as soon as we hit the field, that switch is flipped and we are focused, we are dialed in, everyone knows their responsibility, and we are having an amazingly productive practice. Um, Bill Belichick would always say, you know, let's not, let's not confuse perspiration with achievement. Um, and he would say, I get a group of trained monkeys, and he wasn't trying to be racial. Uh, I had a couple of texters and I've said that before, but like, oh, my gosh, can't believe Bill Ch- Bill Belichick would say that. That's so racial. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, he didn't mean it in a racial way. But basically, I get a group of trained monkeys come out here and run around and sweat. Mm. But achievement, that's kind of what Russell Wilson is talking about, that ability to flip the switch. When you step on the practice field, the, the, the switch is turned on. My brain is turned on. My body is turned on. Effort, focus is about to follow what's, what's next. And that's how we're going to get this done. That's how we're going to have some achievement out there at practice today.
2: Yeah, Keith Williams uh, used to be the wide receiver coach in Nebraska, is now the passing game coordinator for the Ravens, I believe. Um, He used to say, if you don't do it right, it's just exercise. Right. Right? Same thing, yeah, same thinking. And and that's what conjured that up. But absolutely right. You know, what is it? You have to be really intentional. And Mm -hmm. to me, that kind of starts on the coaching side, Right. What is it that we want to get out of this drill? What is it that we want to get out of this period? Uh, we can't leave this period until we understand uh, A, B, or C. Um, so the fact that you have, uh, obviously, most coaches, I, I hope most coaches approach things that way, but you have a player in Russell Wilson that approaches it that way, uh, you probably are that much more productive um, because because he's on the field. Um one thing bothers me one bit though. Okay, kind of. Maybe you can help me talk me off the ledge a little bit. Um, sometimes Russell seems a little bit performative in his. A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Um. So you, I, mean, I don't know if if that message make. I think he may struggle at times coming off as believable or genuine or even at one of the guys to his teammates. I don't know if that matters. Uh, when we're talking about getting that extra productivity that extra little bit out of your practice periods i, I don't know if you, other players view it that way you view it that way talk me off the ledge maybe i'm tripping
0: no you you are you are not tripping and um my internship in seattle um certainly i had a chance to you know be uh, i mean i was a coach i was there i was there damn near 24 hours a day so uh i saw that And that was the year after the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. So there were some hard feelings from Marshawn Lynch. There were some hard feelings about uh, some of the guys in the defense. Towards Daryl Bevel, too, I bet. Yeah, well, there was that as well. But there was, you know, there was a lot of feelings going on. The defense was beginning to feel um, pushed aside for Russ. And Russ was beginning to step up and take a a little bit more of a leadership role. And there were times. you know Pete would open it up to uh you know comments or thoughts uh in those uh in this case Friday night or Thursday night meetings before a preseason game and Russ would start talking and I would see th- three or four of the defensive leaders sit back in their chairs and roll their eyes yes yeah and I'd be like oh man this ain't good this ain't good this is not good this is the quarterback and these are your defensive leaders who are used to being the leaders on this team who brought the Seahawks a Super Bowl championship. It wasn't Russ. It was that historically great defense that did that, the whole Legion of Boom thing. And they are rolling their eyes at the quarterback because his message isn't landing. And so I've been accused here when I've talked about these stories on the text line and things like that, I've somehow I'm jealous of Russ or I'm a Russ hater. No, I'm just simply talking about my experiences in Seattle. Okay, And so this is something that you've picked up on and you and I haven't had this conversation <laughs> on air or off air before. Right, And so I, I didn't plant this seed with you. You, Picked it up all on your own. I literally wrote
2: it down while we were listening to the clip. Right. Yeah, so
0: Yeah. So you picked it up all on your own. And this is something I saw with my own eyes in Seattle. So his message is not going to land perfectly with everybody. Now, with this team, this year, with all this optimism and Russ coming in as Russell Wilson, not just the third-round draft pick who we hopefully can maybe be a backup quarterback and somehow becomes a star in the league and his role evolves, everyone knows who Russ is coming into this but I think there's going to be a little bit more of a runway and a little bit more uh, leash for Russ versus in Seattle. Those defensive guys, um, they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that Russ was walking upstairs and having conversations with Pete, that Pete wasn't having with them, um, that they that they were now being passed over as leaders for, for Russ. You got to think about the personalities too. Like I mean,
2: you got real alphas in the room, right. Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman. The, the, I, Michael Bennett, Cliff Michael Averill, Bennett, Averill, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys were um, the biggest you-know-what's-in-the-room, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they, that's part of what made them great, right. by the way. Um, so I just think it's interesting as we talk about storylines and things that we're going to be looking for and what I think is going to be a really pivotal preseason, you know, how is his message absorbed Tolerated, maybe even um, as well as what what you guys mentioned. You know, in, in flipping the switch and, and being able to focus up and, and get the extra uh, when the extra is available at, in during practice. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting.
0: Yeah, I I, well, I completely agree with what Russ is saying. You're, all great teams need to have that ability to go from fun and having a great time to being literally deadly serious. Mm. Um, and being able to just focus and dial in instantly. Uh, Yeah, we walk in the meeting room. Before the meeting starts, there's music playing. We are laughing and joking. It's a great time. All right, music shuts off. Coach walks up to the front of the room. Boom, serious, Focus. taking notes. So that ability, and that was something that I also really enjoyed in Seattle as well, was the ability to to flip the switch and uh, have such a light atmosphere. But when we're going to do... Football stuff, we're serious. Yeah. So Pete made it fun. It, everything was a joke. It was always constant laughter and constant enjoyment and, you know, making fun of each other and giggling and having a great time. And then, boom, seriousness. So I think Russell Wilson will bring that to a team that needs to learn the lines okay. uh, between the two because you have to have fun. It is a long time. You spend all these hours here. You can't be deadly serious all the time. But when it's time to be serious, we have to have that ability to just flip that switch and instantly turn it on and be super, super focused. Um, And the unrelenting belief thing is obviously important. But to your point, um, that's one of those question marks about this season, not only for for Russ, but for Nathaniel Hackett. Hmm. um, Because Nathaniel Hackett has come across as – Uh, A little Pete Carroll Jr. super excited. (laughs) Come on, guys! You know we've heard the sound (laughs) clips. Yeah, and so at some point
2: the polar opposite of Vic Fangio, right?
0: Which I think this team needed. Okay, but at some point the team needs to take you serious. At some point you need to let people know that their jobs are on the line. At some point you may lose two games in a row, and it just can't be. And it ain't
2: funny no more. (laughs) Yes,
0: humor was after he first lost. Now we lost two in a row. All the humor is gone out this building until we get a W. Um, so those that kind of thing for, for Russ to give his cliches without, calling eye, uh, without causing eye rolls for Nathaniel Hackett to figure out where the line is between positive head coach and the guy who has to deliver bad news and be harsh and occasionally yell at guys and demand more of people. Where are those lines for both of those guys? That's going to be another one of these storylines to watch here in the preseason.
2: Yeah, and I think as the preseason goes on, this is not going to be your average preseason because there are so many questions like that to be answered, um, even with like procedure and, and how you handle your timeouts and how you handle your red zone stuff. And this is Nathaniel Hack's first time being the one in charge of those things. Right. With three.
0: First time coordinators.
2: There you go. There you go. So you know, it, along with oh, how's Russell going to act, and Justin Simmons, and all these other guys, there's a lot to be. There's a lot of questions to be answered from the coaching standpoint, and and you know, messaging uh, is just as big of a question mark uh, as any one of them. So uh, pay extra extra special attention to those kind of things because this is these are these are dress rehearsals. I think they're taking that uh, each time they go out.
0: Uh, Camp kicks off next week. That means it's time for one of our great fan traditions, giving away free limited distance, extra soft T-shirts. Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. The E replaced with the number three for Russell Wilson T-shirts. Our first giveaway is Thursday at noon at Breaks Plus on Tower Road in Aurora. Shirts are available while supplies last. Limit one per person. Our camp shirts are always in high demand every year, so get there early. For our full listing of T-shirt drops, go to denverfan.com slash shirt. We come back. We got uh, James Merrillat. It's always fun with James. He's next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports
2: Station, 104.3 The Fan.
0: Welcome in James Merrillat, editor at DenverFan.com. James is brought to us on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. How you doing, James? I'm good, fellas. How are you guys? That's oh, not the hotline. It's not. I'm live here in
2: person oh, this goodness. time around.
0: Yes. Well, you know, why are you guys trying to bust my my read?
2: No, no, I, I wasn't busting the read. I I was actually expecting him on the hotline. Then he walked in the door. And I said, "Oh man, we can hopefully that's we can a, have more fun." Semi pleasant surprise.
3: But yeah, I'm sitting in with Stoke again okay. today from eleven to two. So I'm here getting ready. Thought I'd just pop in and you know do this uh do this in person the window was open so you jumped in that's right there
0: this is go. this is better this way so this one this time when james says something crazy as opposed to being on the hotline we just where, jump all we go jim Rome. where he can't see my eye roll yeah. now in studio he can see exactly. my eye roll.
3: I, normally i just kind of get the sense of the eye roll like i can i can feel it on right. the hotline this one i get to see it all
0: right uh, we've kind of been jumping around a little bit uh, talking about some of the storylines for training camp um and we heard some sound from Russell, I'm um, sorry, Justin Simmons, uh, talking about the mediocre teams that he's been a part of yep. and the sense of optimism for this year. And uh, some folks have gone a little crazy, Tim Patrick saying Super Bowl or bust. I know that's a great mindset, um, but as I say that, you're rolling your eyes yeah. <laughs> over there a little bit. And, and I'm
3: optimistic about this team. I think expectations need to be higher than Those who want to pump the brakes are are leading on. But Super Bowl or bust is sort of setting yourself up for failure. I think it's playoffs or bust. I think that's fair. But Super Bowl or bust, hey, look, that'd be nice. But I I think that's that's asking a bit much in year one. It doesn't
2: have the same ring to it, though.
0: It it, it doesn't. Yeah, you don't say playoffs or bust. You say Super Bowl or bust. But why do you think Super Bowl or bust is too big of a step for this season? What what, what are the issues, what are the the questions and concerns that you have? Well, my number one concern
3: about this team heading into camp is edge rusher. I think they've got some guys that have some ability at that spot, but all of them have something to prove, right? Randy Gregory, the big money guy, well, one, he's injured, so when's he going to be on the field? But his career high in a season is six. His career sack total is 16.5, so that's all based on projection. Bradley Chubb's coming off a year when he had zero sacks, Jonathan Cooper, you know, he looked okay at times as a rookie, but he had two sacks. I mean, the most kind of defined guy or the guy you know what you're getting is Malik Reed, who I think, to be fair, is probably, he's a rotational guy. Like, if he's your third or fourth guy, he comes in and, you know, gives the guy a break and ends up five or six sacks by the end of the year. You look at that and say, all right, he did his job. That's your known commodity? I think that's a little nerve-wracking. So how does that, uh, how does that shape out? And then you know, look. I think to say they've got a new coaching staff, and you you're going to forgive and, and excuse a bunch of mistakes and mismanagement of games, I think is is uh, overboard. But I do think it is year one of all these people together, these this coaching staff, Russell Wilson, kind of the the key players in it. So, do I think it's going to be an instant switch and they go from missing the playoffs for for six straight years to winning the Super Bowl? No, but I do think you should be able to go from seven and ten to. 10 wins or 11 wins and that's getting in the playoffs. I think that's a realistic step. I think things have to go in in, you know, modest steps, not baby steps, but modest steps, and I think uh, I think the I think getting
2: to the Super Bowl would be too big of a leap. We we used a Chad introduced a term that I really have gravitated towards and potential. You know, this team has a lot of potential. I yeah. think they can. We believe in this person and all these all these things that have this optimism in the air right now what group or room do you look at that has the most potential and and really has to bring it home like really soon
3: well I think the wide receiver group is the one that can make that leap and kind of fulfill that potential right I think Cortland Sutton's a guy who I give him a ton of credit last year for playing when he was not 100% and coming back from that ACL and kind of having to transform his game a bit from being the, the big play guy who can jump over everybody and win the 50-50 ball to more of a possession type of receiver, right? Like he was just more of that guy. Tim Patrick is a, a, somebody who's come out of nowhere and turned himself into a really good player. And Jerry Judy has been, you know, a, a guy that's been disappointing and some are calling him a bust at this point. Well, now you got a quarterback. Now, you got an offensive minded coach. You're not playing for Vic Fangio. You don't have Pat Shermer. So, to me, that's a group that should be able to take a leap now that it's Nathaniel Hackett's offense and Russell Wilson is their quarterback. And we all kind of like those guys, but nationally, and you see the. And look, it's kind of silly to put too much stake in this, but the Madden ratings came out yesterday. Broncos receiver's not particularly well thought of.
0: We spoke about that earlier. So, yes.
3: that's a group that has potential to where if they play like we think some of them should play with Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. They're going to be doing better in terms of that category and those ratings a year from now. So I think that's the group that's got the most room for growth because I think they're the group that's been stunted the most by what the situation has been here for the last three to six
0: years. All right, enlighten this texter from the 7 Super Bowl or bust, Stafford did it. Why should our expectations be any less? Staff- difference between where the Broncos are and where the Rams were yeah. and having Matt Stafford.
3: Well, Stafford also came into a team that had been to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, right? So he was like the missing piece. If, if this team had been to a Super Bowl three years ago with Joe Flacco and it just wasn't enough, well, then, yeah, you'd be saying, sure, same coach, uh, mostly the same staff. They've added some, some other big free agents. They're ready to go. Like, this is a team that hasn't made the postseason since Super Bowl 50 five straight losing seasons, the worst stretch in, in the NFL history of the organization. That's not where the Rams were, right? Like Sean McVay and I again, I think saying Nathaniel Hackett gets this, you know, long runway of a learning curve. No, no, no. Matt LaFleur didn't have that. And Sean McVay didn't have that. Like you can step in and and be pretty good right out of the gate, but are you going to be great? I mean, that's a that's a whole different story. I just think it's, uh, it's a vastly different situation than what the Rams were a year ago. Matthew Stafford was the final piece. Russell Wilson's a, the biggest piece, but I don't
2: know that he's the final piece for a team that's ready to make that leap. Well, I, I'm going to side with the texter, actually, because if we had sat here in this room last year and said Cincinnati said Super Bowl or bust, we'd all laugh at him too. Sure. Yes or no? Sure. So, and for two teams, it's actually going to be true. So I, I can't be mad at them for saying it.
3: James. I'm not mad at him and I love the expectation. And will I I will be less shocked if this team goes to the Super Bowl than if this team misses the playoffs. So I think they're closer to that extreme than the, than the other extreme if you're putting them on the spectrum. Uh, I just don't want to set myself and Broncos country up for disappointment of if you don't get to the Super Bowl – you're, I, that you're, doesn't
2: mean it was an unsuccessful. Season. Right.
3: It doesn't mean it can't be a step in the process. That doesn't mean Nathaniel Hackett was a bad hire. It Doesn't mean the Russell Wilson trade was a bad trade. So long as you're making a pretty big step forward from what we've seen, that's all I'm saying in terms of uh, you know kind of keeping expectations somewhat under control. But I do think they should be high. When I see hear people say, "Hey, nine wins would be wouldn't be a disaster." Anything under ten, I, I, I'm telling you, it turns into. Do they have the right guy as head coach? Do they have uh, the right coordinators because all of them are at their highest level they've ever had? Like those questions will be asked and that, I think they'll be fair if this team wins seven, eight, nine games. They went seven and ten a year ago with Vic Fangio, Teddy Bridgewater, and Drew Locke. Surely they gotta be three games better. That's how most people are gonna look at
0: it. All right, from the three oh three. How about just beat Kansas City or bust? <sighs> I mean that will, big, that will be it's a big that will be
3: a big step. Time. Yeah. It's uh I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of, the, you know, Chad being a CU guy, right? Like, you beat Nebraska, your season successful. Right. Or if you're a CSU guy, beat Colorado, your season successful. Right. But if you guys would have gone 1-10, but you beat Nebraska, that doesn't work. Clearly. So I, I do think, though, that Week 14 game against Kansas City is a big one because that'll be Russell Wilson's first opportunity to end the 13-game losing streak to the Chiefs. It'll be Russell versus Mahomes. That's a big game they get that first match up in Denver they got to go out there what week seventeen january first
0: january first correct
3: you don't want that to be a game you have to win you know if you got to go out there to try and win the division great but if they, if that's the game of man if we lose this we're we're up against it and we're not going to make the playoffs that's that's setting yourself up for um for coming up short so I think that week fourteen game is huge I think if you get through the year and you make the playoffs but you go into oh and two against the chiefs okay you're fine but I do think you're saying we're not we're not ready to win the AFC West yet. If you can at least go one and one against the Chiefs and make the playoffs even as a wild card, then you can talk yourself into, all right, we're ready to compete in this division. So I do think that's important,
2: but it's not the be-all end-all. It's, it's on the board in the locker room. For sure. For sure, maybe three or four down. Yeah, it's not atop the list, but yeah. it's on the list. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no, you got it.
0: I got it. All right. Uh, James, good stuff as always. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, there were no eye rolls. This I know. Thing, other than from, then from you. You were the only one this As time. As i subconscious,
3: I don't remember what I was eye-rolling at. Was probably Super Bowl or plus. But no, guys, I hey, appreciate well. you having me on.
0: Thanks, James. Good stuff, buddy. Uh, when uh, Kyle and I come back, uh, some more news for the Pac-12, and it ain't good news. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the downfall of uh, my Buffs conference continues to uh, keep going. That's next. Denver
2: Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan Presents, Chad and Nate.
0: of college football teams uh, this year. I won't even call it realignment. It's the the redoing of college football. It's the mega conference creation. It's not just, oh, this team moved to this conference. No, there's a greater movement at foot. um, And the news uh, from um, yesterday doesn't help uh, the Big Ten or the Pac-12. Therefore, my buffs aren't helped by this latest news here. In an article on ESPN, uh, a Big 12 source said the deal between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 didn't work for a a multitude of reasons, which included the fact that any potential deal wouldn't have driven much revenue for the league. It just didn't work, a source said. Um, Yeah, you know, with USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 10, uh, that's the nation's second-largest media market in Southern California. That there's no representation in the Pac-12 for. Um, you got the Bay Area schools, but nothing in Southern California. Um, so I, I thought the wisest move for the Big 12 and the Pac-12 were to take their best teams and try to merge together. Um, and I'm sorry, Oregon State, you don't make the cut. No. Um, but yeah, the the thought of the Pac-12 going to add, you know, add a San Diego school and UNLV, that doesn't move the needle anywhere but but down. But to the, to uh, we were talking to James Merillat about this uh, before he left the studio. I don't think there's any other major media market schools left that they could actually poach from. Um, so uh, the continued slide of the Big 12 and the Pac-12, uh, the fact they can't get their stuff together and try to form some version of a super conference, Uh, It just moves them further, in my opinion, towards irrelevancy. Um, And in no way will they be able to compete with the SEC or the Big Ten, who have officially become the mega conferences I talked about, football, college football, moving to.
2: Yeah, the the Big 12 seems like it's been under assault for about 10 or 15 years now. I remember when the Longhorn Network became a thing, and um, that that really kind of started moving the ball just in terms of, where the money was going to come from and where it was going and who was going to have the lion's share of that. Then A&M left and the whole Adidas thing with A&M and the mm-hmm. money they injected into that program because now they were in the SEC. Um So uh, unfortunately, as a college football fan, um seeing how much this is driven by, you knew it, but now the fact that this is driven by money is in your face. It's undeniable at this point. Um And it's, for me, honestly, I'm a, I'm saddened by it. it. It's a little bit depressing. Um, you know, Pac-12, Big 12 aside, you know that those will ultimately be overwhelmed. Those two conferences, I believe, um, because the money and the star power from the other two conferences is just that enormous, and uh, it's 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 hard to watch. To be perfectly honest with you, because I'm a huge fan of college football, and it's just uh, I think it's the floor is falling out of it.
0: Uh I, I see it I see it differently. I, I see this as a re-slotting that actually will put schools where they deserve to be. Um, in the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma were clearly the lead dogs. Um, you know, from a funding standpoint, I, I can't imagine how far Texas Tech is behind Texas and athletic program funding. So why should they be on the same playing field? If Texas and, and Oklahoma want to go to the SEC – then more power, to You play with those schools that have a similar type of funding, a similar type of focus. And so we have the Big Ten and the SEC, and maybe they compete uh, in a two-mega-conferences championship form where one school comes from the Big Ten, one school comes from the SEC, and they play for the actual Tier A National Championship. And down here in Tier B is the ACC, and it's the Pac-12, whatever version they come up with, and the Big 12, whatever version they come up with, and they compete for the Tier B National Championship. So now we're talking about programs that are on the same levels. There's no reason. I know CSU has played Alabama a couple times, which I'm sure was great for for, uh, CSU's financial coffers, but didn't help them from a competitive standpoint. They had no shot at winning that game. It was a pure money game for CSU when they played Alabama. So, there's no reason why Alabama or Texas or Ohio State or any of these true blue blood schools that we think about should ever play down at a lower level. It's a potential for injury for the lower school. Those kids get crushed and embarrassed. The only thing it does is it adds money to uh, whatever that smaller school's uh, financial coffers for one season. It just doesn't level the playing field, doesn't make it an even matchup, doesn't make it a competitive matchup. So, yeah, you want to be up there with with the big dogs? Then go up there with the big dogs. If you are a Tier B, a Tier C school, then compete for a championship at your level. What you're saying is not wrong. Thank
2: you. (laughs) But I I guess I just have a problem with creating a class system like this. You know what I mean? It's truly big bank, take little bank. You know, it is, but that's life. It it, it is. But it sucks, man. Like I I really a couple of years ago, Western Michigan uh, went undefeated or and UCF went undefeated. Uh Right. And if I told those kids at the beginning of the season, you could win all your games and you still wouldn't be in the conversation. Right, that would suck for that school, right? So maybe that's a justification for making your sub leagues. But now you got three different champions. Like, who wants that? I don't want that either. That's just as the
0: bowl system that we have now. It exists now that we have. You know, there's there's the FCS, there's the FBS, there's all that. So stuff. why do you still
2: have those things if you're just going to create all these sub conferences within the FBS division
0: now? Well, those are those are NCAA uh, creations, as as we know, the NCAA is kind of going away. Um, the bowl system is not run by the NCAA. The national championship system is not run by the NCAA. Thank so uh, We're removing that aspect. Therefore, we can have a, a fresh opportunity to look at this thing. And again, I, as you said, I, I'm not wrong. I don't think I am. I think the Big Ten and the SEC should be Tier A, and they compete for the Tier A national championship. And then we got Tier B and we got Tier C. And where CU falls in that, I, I can't say, but it's definitely not Tier A. Now, if you want to be Cincinnati, and develop a amazing football program, um, but clearly they, as we saw in the playoffs, they can't compete at the they highest level. In tier B, yes, but though they can be in Tier A. Um, but, but let's say um, UCF, as you pointed out, they decide, you know what, we have dominated Tier B, and we want to move up to Tier A. I let's have a system where uh, if you are the bottom finisher in either the Big Ten mega conference and the SEC mega conference, you get kicked down to tier B. And the top finisher in tier B gets kicked up to tier A. So if you want to try to run with the big dogs, you got your shot. You're not permanently you know, a lower class citizen forever. We'll, <laughs> we'll start you here. And depending on what kind of funding you can get, depending on how much uh, resources you want to put into your program and you want to move up with the big boys, more power to you. Go up there. But it's a rough, tough deal up there. Kids are making a million dollars playing quarterback at Alabama. What are you paying your quarterback, UCF? There, Alabama has 20 full-time analysts who are former NFL coaches and former college head coaches. How many analysts do you have, UCF? Can you really truly compete up here with the big dogs? I don't think you really truly can.
2: Yeah. I, I guess I'm just disappointed that has come to this. You know, that that it's been taken over so much by – and I wouldn't even say the corporate entities. This is these
0: are the school priorities, right? It's, it's it's the outside money. It's the well, no, it's the media. The television contracts draw the conference commissioners' attention and for the Big 10 television contract coming up which you're talking about is going to be a billion dollar contract, the Big 10 commissioner owed it to his, you know, I guess the constituents within the schools to grab whatever schools he can that would be attractive to bring more dollars from a media perspective. And as you look around the college landscape, there would be no more attractive schools than USC or UCLA to suddenly have ownership of the Southern California market for the Big Ten networks and their TV contracts.
2: But, but the crazy thing about that is when you mention both of those schools, it's really not about what they have done on the football field for the last 10 years. No. Nope. It's about their market, it's about the dollars. So, uh, yes. Man. But now. But this is the sport we love. You know we, what I mean? I
0: I love college football. I, I call college football and I, I call pro football. I love calling pro football because it's the game at its absolute highest level and highest level of execution. But I love the band and the the alumni and the the tailgates when and I do the old stadiums. And, yes, and the the, the, the innovative oh, offenses. So I love all of that. I love them both in in different ways. I love them both in different ways. Um, but to have our you know old man moments to get off my lawn about well, it used to be in the Rose Bowl, the Big Ten champion and the Pac twelve champion would play and compete. Man, that's done. What schools yeah. have the most money? That's T.R.A. That's who competes for the true national championship. All this other geographically based orientations, that's done, man. That is absolutely done. When we come yeah. back, uh, <laughs> we were talking about Bryce Young, who was on, uh, I believe it was maybe a, a SEC Media Day, getting some uh, doing an interview. And I was talking about the fact that he makes a million bucks through NIL deals, being the quarterback at Alabama. And travesty. you said it was ludicrous, and a travesty. Yeah. I want to hear more about that that's next it's chad and nate on denver's
2: sports station 1043 the fan
0: Keep them heads ringing yeah these conversation got my head ringing. Yes. Sometimes these conversations off air are way more passionate than on air. And uh, Kyle and I just yeah. got into it with the, <laughs> the loss of some of these college football rivalries and the ever-changing landscape of college football. Um, and, you know, on one hand, the addition of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, uh, I think, brings some Southern California eyeballs, gives it the conference a national footprint. But you made a great point about uh, schools like Wisconsin and Iowa.
2: Yeah. Who who deserve, I don't say deserve, you got to earn it every year, but they're good teams year in and year out, but they're no longer going to be the priority of that particular conference because Lincoln Riley's in it in Southern California. And let's face it, they're sexier, right? And um, if you're talking about revenue drivers, that's probably going to be a little bit more attractive than Wisconsin in November. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Yeah, if I'm Big Ten Commissioner, if I'm the Big Ten Commissioner, yes, I'm trying to devote as many eyeballs as I can to uh, USC and UCLA versus Iowa and Wisconsin just because simply the the revenue possibilities of those two schools, Midwest schools versus the two Southern California schools is just vastly different. And if my job is to bring as much money to my constituents as I can, then yeah.
2: Take me to Hollywood.
0: Take me to Hollywood and leave the Midwest and the cold behind. Yeah, so... Yes, there will be teams maybe like Wisconsin and Iowa who we think of as very traditional football teams in a very traditional football conference who may slide down the priority list in a way that uh, affects their actual football future. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. All right. So to get back to the Bryce Young conversation, um, the floor is yours after I set this up. Okay. We're in here in the studio. ESPN was showing, I believe, some clips from SEC media days. Uh, Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama, was talking. Um, I went to high school with his mother. And uh, I know the kid makes over a million bucks a year as a quarterback at Alabama through NIL deals. Um, And you had some pushback. As soon as those words came out of your mouth, my mouth, the floor is yours.
2: Um, I've had this opinion for quite a few years. and um my my issue is always hasn't always been about whether or not they should be paid. My issue was with who was actually making the money, you know um the executives and that's a whole other conversation in in and of itself but the reason i I think it's a travesty that Bryce Young is making a million dollars a year and I think look at Bryce Young and I feel like he's a young man the way he presents himself, can handle that, and maybe he has a good team around him, and I feel like They they knew that this was coming on, so they are prepared for this moment. Most young men are not, right? And the pitfalls that come along with this kind of money – I think over the next two or three years, we are going to start seeing some real issues with young men handling hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. The tax implications that come along with it. The uh, the early retirement from football. I got one hundred thousand dollars in the bank. I don't need this anymore. And now we're really watering down. And this is the old man in me. This is the, the high school football coach in me. And the the messenger to the community, we are really watering down the point of sending the kids to college in the first place, which is to get the education. Well, I got five hundred thousand dollars. I'm cool. I think I'm done with school, dad. Right. And that ain't why we sent you out there in the first place, is it right? Because the whole message that we send to our kids in our communities is go get your school paid for. Right. But now the message has turned into go get your money. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is bad for not only football. Right. But it's bad. For, it's a bad message to be sending to our young people. I know it sounds traditional. I know it sounds pie in the sky. We are the world. You could call me whatever you want. But I just think it's bad messaging to, to now tell kids, go get your money at 16 years old and, and think about the corruption. I'll tell you this one story before I let you go. We had a young man in town uh, about about six weeks ago. He's a junior in high school. Highly touted prospect from a neighboring state he had a handler, what they called a sponsor, to make sure he stayed out of trouble because they know he's got a million dollar check waiting on him, and you know what that handler's going to be waiting with their handout as soon as that check arrives Mhm and so i I just think that's a level of corruption that I'm not ready to deal with i'm i'm uh, so I'm sorry you you call me what you want
0: okay uh money problems. Problems that come from money are a real thing. And to give the money to 18- and 19-year-olds in college who maybe are not prepared for that, that does present some issues. But I'd rather have money problems based on the fact that I got a million bucks than money problems based on I don't have any money at all. I'd rather, if Fair. if I'm if I'm weighing the two, Fair. give me the million bucks and I'll deal with the problems that come from that rather than having no money at all. Uh, I had no money at all in college and wondered how I was going to do whatever I had to do. It stinks. Uh, so that... You get real creative. Right. So, I mean, while I... There's a certain pride that I hustled and figured out ways to do stuff. Uh, at the same time, I'd rather have a million bucks and figure out, oh, my gosh, did I save enough for taxes? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's a far, that's a little easier, different issue to, to, to worry about. Um, do the college As kids, long as you did. Right. The college kids deserve to be paid. I think we are both in agreement with that standpoint. Somehow. The, the commissioner for a bowl game. It's one game a year. Somehow some of these bowl game commissioners were making a million bucks, a million and a half, two million half, 2 million bucks to be the commissioner of a bowl game while the kids on the field got nothing but a, you know, a free iPod and a and a and a and a and bowl watch. Certificate, yeah, yeah. And, and, a, and a free pair of sweats. So the that had to change because that was clearly corrupt in one way. No doubt. Now we're shifting some of the money and corruption now towards the players <laughs> and the, the handlers and we saw Nick Saban get upset with Jimbo Fisher saying that Texas A&M bought all the recruits and all that. So the NIL deal is a bit of the wild, wild west. State laws differ from state to states, which govern the NIL deals that certain kids can get. So there's not a uniform level playing field for that. So that needs to be hammered out. Um, but for a kid to be able to make money off his name, image and likeness, uh, what he brings to the school, essentially uh, the the the. Eyeballs, the, the 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 social media clicks, all that. I think it's a great way to reward these kids, but there has to be some sort some sort of guidelines and system set up because we cannot just exist where there's no rules anywhere. No doubt. Um, does it change the way kids approach college? I think it does, and you 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 you're forced to look at if I'm going to make this money, well, who's going to help me handle this money? That's when handlers and agents and NIL agents and all those folks coming into the picture, which brings a certain shady, seedy side to things. But again, I'm far, willing to, far more willing to deal with the problems that come from money than the problems that come from no money. Um, hopefully most of these kids are you know, able to handle it. I know a lot of them aren't going to be able to, um, but I don't, on its core level, object to the kids getting money for what they bring.
2: Your thoughts on the education piece, because that, that troubles me too.
0: The education piece. Um, I, I think you still should be upheld to the same standards of education that you were, you know, you need to be in, in good standing with your class, take a certain number of classes each semester, uh, achieve a certain grade point average that has to be out there. While it's semi pro football, essentially because you are getting paid, and it is essentially pay for play with these NIL deals. You are still a college athlete, governed by the same rules as all the college athletes, which means the academics have to meet up with your athletics, and you have to achieve certain standards there. But the human nature
2: is going to fly in the face of that, to me. Right? I'm 19, got hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Go to class for what?
0: Okay, but let <laughs> let's say this: there is there is a popular uh, thought and sentiment amongst a uh, growing political class that thinks that college isn't good for anybody who who, who actively stand up at political conferences and preach that co- no one should go to college. So it's not just, oh my gosh, these poor inner city athletes and what's going to happen if they don't go to college? There's a growing movement that college has become too expensive and, a, and it's a waste of time. And People like Bill Gates didn't graduate from college. Larry Ellison didn't graduate from college. So these billionaires that we uphold as these icons of, of brains and, and, and knowledge and, and prowess, they didn't finish college. So why should little Jimmy go to college? Why should I be focused on my college degree? When I'm Bryce Young, I make a million bucks a year playing quarterback for Alabama, and I'm going to get a $20, $30 million deal when I go into the NFL, which will eventually turn into a $400 million deal. Yeah, it, it. You don't have a problem with that because you have now completely, I'm trying to think of the word.
2: It's not the point. It's not the point. You're going there to get the education. And and
0: now you're going there to get the money. I send my kids to see you. I paid for college. I think the college experience was tremendous for them. Uh, Maybe not always from a purely academic standpoint, but from seeing it through, getting stuff done, all the other lessons outside of the classroom that you learn as a college student, the connections that you make, the hustle that you grow grow inside of you, all that stuff is is tremendous. But the folks who say, you know, maybe college isn't for everyone, I understand where they're coming from. And I had some college teammates who I thought, man, college ain't for you. You're here to play ball. And (laughs) that's okay. I still have not graduated from college. I'm eight credits short. Um, hasn't held me back in life one bit. So I see both sides of the coin, both sides of the argument. Um, I think change is not always bad. Um, so I'm not resisting the change. I think we need to evolve our views as times and circumstances change. Um, but, yes, to your point, the, the focus goes from getting your degree to getting your money from a college football standpoint. Mm-hmm.
2: I can't, go. I can't wait to go at it again. This, this will surely come up again. Well, so. I think
0: you and I are going to get together later this week. Nate will be back in your chair uh, tomorrow. Looking forward to that, and I think you will be back on later this week. So uh, I think this conversation will continue. Lots of fun with you, uh, Kyle, today. Uh, James Merillat and Stoke, those guys are next. Hey, this is
3: Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage,
1: the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.